Good morning. How are you? No one said blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed to be in the family of God. I am blessed to have a wife for 24 years and she's still my girlfriend. I'm blessed to have three children who still speak to me. I am blessed to be invited to speak at one of the greatest Bible colleges in, Christian Bible colleges in the world. I am truly honored and humbled to stand before you this morning and to declare the word of God. I am thankful for the administration and for Charles and Mark for the invitation. And I just pray that you would pray with me that I would be used of the Lord this morning to effect eternal change in your life. Because that's what this is all about. It's not about just what's accomplished next week. It's not just about what you're doing uh, this week. It's about eternity. It's about what Jesus Christ will say to you when you stand in his presence. That's what it's about for me. When I got the invitation, I had a lot of reasons why I could not have come. I could have stayed home with my wife who's ill. But I've got eternity in view. And I hope you do also. I hope that you're not just coming to a school to get their degree and leave their doctrine. I hope you're here so that your life would be changed. So that you might be used by Christ in this world. So that in the end, ha, that smile, well done, will be all that you had expected it to be. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this great privilege, dear God, that we can come to such a place and to minister the word of God for the glory of Christ our Lord. Oh, we just thank you for your marvelous grace by which we've been called and saved and right now by which we stand. We come, dear God, praying that you would pour out your spirit this morning and this week and in the lives of every individual under the sound of my voice. May we be those in this day and age who stand in the gap for you. May we be faithful soldiers, not just soldiers, but good soldiers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for the moving of your Spirit, O oh God, in my heart and in these hearts, dear God. And we ask, dear God, right now that you would be with my wife, dear God, and you know that dear sister who is in surgery right now. Father, we just ask that you would move in a most excellent way, that you would be with her and with the surgeons, dear God, and that you would bring uh, Sister Mary through. We thank you for uh, once again, this invitation and for what you're going to do in the lives of these people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, when Charles told me at first I had 35 minutes, I said, that's a test in itself. At home, I usually preach one hour and ten minutes, minimum. Took me a couple of years to get them used to it, but they're used to it, and uh, I'm the one who has to change. I'm trying to get it down to 45 minutes, and I hope to do that this morning. If you will turn with me in your Bibles, and I know everyone in a Bible college brought their Bible this morning, to Romans 10, verses 1 through 14. And I'd like to encourage you today. 
I believe that students in Bible college need to be encouraged. That's what my desire is this morning. Now, encouragement is really hard to accomplish in a group this size due to the numerous needs that are present. Yet I know that there is one need that we all have in common at this very moment if we name the name of Jesus Christ. I'd like to encourage you to be a more effective witness for the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text, Romans 10, 1 through 14. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Our subject this morning is how shall they hear? How shall they hear? Seven characteristics of an effective witness. Seven characteristics of an effective witness. I'd like to do a little something this morning. Everyone here who was witnessed to personally by another individual when you received Christ, would you just do me a favor and stand up? Okay, now what about the rest of you, those of you who heard the message over radio or through a crusade or or through a, a piece of Christian literature that was given to you, would you please stand? Now all of the rest of you who are still seated, however you were saved, it came through an individual. Is that right? The written word written by one of the great writers of the Scripture? But somewhere along the line, someone told us about Jesus. Is that right? That person was an effective witness. 
You may be seated. That person, that individual, was an effective witness for Christ. Whether they stumbled through the gospel, whether they they felt uh, weak within themselves, whether they had not been to Bible college, but they were an effective witness for Christ. And my friend, you are the evidence. There are seven characteristics that must be evident and must be real in the life of an individual if they expect to be an effective witness for Christ and if we expect those who haven't heard to hear. And I believe that if you study the life of Christ, that you will see that these characteristics were present in his life, and then when you study someone that we can reach, some of us, and and just see the, the humanness of, like the Apostle Paul, I believe that you still see those same characteristics that you saw, that you will see in the life of Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 10. If the folk, wherever you're going, are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if you're going to be an effective witness, I believe that you must begin by desiring the souls of men. Somehow in this modern day that we live in, folk are getting saved and there's no burden for the lost. The Apostle Paul said, brethren, my heart's desire. Paul possessed a desire for the salvation of folk. It was a heartfelt, earnest desire. I mean, his heart ached for the loss. If you would just look at chapter 9, verses 1 and 3, at the refusal of Israel to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul came to the place where he wished that he could even be separated from God if his people would come to Christ. There was an aching in his heart for the lost. So the question that I must ask myself and the question that you must address as an individual is where is the desire for lost souls? For you see, it was the desire of the Father to see sinners saved. It was the desire of the Son to see men and women, boys, rescued from Satan's prison house. It was the desire of the Apostle Paul to see sinners saved. Where is your desire? To be without a desire to see sinners saved To to be without a desire for the salvation of the lost is contrary to the love and the mercy of God. To be without a desire to see sinners saved is contrary to the love and the mercy of God. It is contrary to the cross of Jesus Christ. Where is that aching desire? Is it just because they require it at college? Listen, if you name the name of Christ, 
anything less than a hot, felt, hot, aching desire for souls is contrary to the love, the mercy of God, and the cross of Jesus Christ. Where is the desire? I've had to ask myself that often as I've walked this Christian journey because it is the natural inclination of my heart to grow cold to the things of the Lord and just go through the motion. So when I sense that my heart is cold, I must confess that as sin. And then I must do what will bring the desire back. Look what Paul said in verse 1. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God. You see, not only must I have a desire for souls, but I must seek divine intervention. I must seek divine intervention to maintain the characteristic of God's mercy, love, and the cross of Christ. And I must seek divine intervention to desire souls. Paul said, my prayer. Now, the word here, the word here means supplication. It is not just, Lord, I need a car. But Lord, I really, really need a car. Well, it's Lord, when I go next week, I really want to be prepared and I really want to see folks say, It is the crying out. It is the desire of this heart that's filled with urgency. I personally believe that in my life, the most important uh, element in my witness, whether I'm uh, in a prison or in a, a, a mission or whether I'm on a street corner or in an airport, the most important element besides the moving of the Spirit is prayer. For you see... I believe that when I begin to pray and I begin to cry out to God about my weakness, you see, witnessing for Christ is not natural to my heart. It is a fearful thing for me to witness. It seems like all of the enemies of hell rear up and want to keep me from doing what is my divine responsibility as a child of God. And that is to tell someone about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just to tell them what He's done for me. Just to do that simple little task, it becomes so hard, so I found that I must pray. And I must pray sincerely. And when I do pray, I get the leading and the boldness of the Spirit of God. You know, you really begin to believe that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Another need, another reason why we must really pray is that 
apart from the Spirit of God, apart from divine intervention, there will be no boldness, there will be no leading, there will be no conviction in the sinner's heart, there will be no salvation. When we pray, sinners' hearts are softened and their ears are open. And when we pray, the enemy is hindered. The enemy is hindered. I challenge you as you go to begin praying for more love for sinners for the guidance and the leading of the Spirit of God, I challenge you to pray. You see, another thing that prayer does is this. Prayer separates your culture from what you're to be biblically. There are many today who want to carry their Christianity in such a way that it does not affect their culture as it should. Some even use biblical truth. Some will take the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man and not tell the gospel and not pray for souls. Well, listen, Paul understood the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man better than anyone that I know. And it never stopped him from praying for the lost or witnessing to them. Pray. Whatever it is that's hindering you, pray. Paul said, my heart's desire in prayer to God is for Israel. You know, people reject Christ for different reasons. And that's another reason why prayer must really be a part of an effective witness. Because you must determine the sinner's need. You know, it's, um, it's amazing how Christians are so often more willing to be prepackaged than spirit prepared. You see, when you go into the city or wherever you're going, your culture is going to give you this little prepackaged spiel to give to people to lead them to Christ. And I would suggest to you that you carry your little package with you, but more than that, you be prepared by the Spirit to determine where the sinner is and then let the Spirit of God take this book, work it through you to touch a sinner's life. I had a little prepared. Yes, the Romans wrote. Love it. Been real effective in my life. The Lord has used it mightily. But you know what I find a lot of times? That what I need to do is to determine the sinner's need. After I seek divine intervention, the next thing I need to do is determine the sinner's need. And by that, that is to be open and not allowing my culture, my prejudices, my, my, my feelings to keep me from understanding and, and, and sensing what is the real need here. You see, in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 10... Paul knew the need of his people. He knew the need. He said, for I bear them record, talking about Israel, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You're going to meet a lot of folk like this who are trying to go to heaven by their works. 
And dealing with that issue might not be in your little spiel. But if you've studied the Word, the Spirit of God will bring back to you Galatians chapter 2, where Paul talks about that righteousness is not by the works of men, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Be prepared. Don't just be prepackaged. Don't just go into the situation thinking that you have all of the answers, and when you give them your spiel, they're going to listen and get saved. Listen, it doesn't work that way anymore. You've got to determine their needs. Israel was working to produce their own righteousness. Gentiles were separated from and ignorant of the gospel of Christ. And Paul understood clearly their needs. So, desiring souls, seeking divine intervention, determining the sinner's need, and then I believe that as Christians we must be devoted to the proclamation of the gospel. We live in a world where philosophy is reigning even amongst Christians. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is being diluted by a lot of things in our world that, that, that takes the gospel and weakens it and shows to us that we are not totally committed to, devoted to, the proclamation of the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that folk have forgotten Romans 1, 16. Huh? That's right, my friend. The gospel. It, would you turn with me there to Romans 1, 16? We must be devoted to the proclamation of the gospel. First, it's our responsibility. Christ hasn't given us another message. He hasn't given us another gospel. It is our responsibility. And according to Romans 1, 16, the gospel is the only thing that God has given to set the sinner free. It is the only thing in the world powerful enough to set the sinner free. Paul says, for I am not ashamed. And my friend, that is one of the problems in the world today. Folk are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, and you know it means the dynamis, the dynamite of God unto salvation. You know what my pastor said? My pastor used to say that the gospel is like a big bad lion. You don't need to protect it. You just need to open up the cage door, brother. And that's all we need to do with the gospel. You see, God hasn't called you to be the Savior. That's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. But He has called you to give the instrument of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Are you devoted to the proclamation of the gospel or a a group of nice little sayings that makes sinners feel good about themselves. You've got to be bold in this world today to make folk feel bad about themselves. And that boldness must come from the Holy Spirit. Now do this for me. When you go, you see, one of the problems with Christians today is this, is that when we suffer, many times we say it's because of the proclamation of the gospel. 
And a lot of times that's just a big lie. You see, a lot of times we suffer because of our personalities. Some of us are just plain rude in the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when folk curse at us, we go back with our martyr complex and stand and give testimony. No. No. Be kind and gentle like the Savior. Suffer for the gospel, for the proclamation of the truth, and not your personality. We must be. We must be committed. We must be committed, saints, to the proclamation of the gospel. Why? Look what it says in Romans 10. We already seen that is the power of God. But look what it says in Romans 10, 14. Three questions there. Romans 10, 14. Three questions. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You know what the answer is to that? The answer is they can't. If folk don't get the true gospel, if they don't get the gospel as presented in the, in the scripture, they cannot seek aid, they cannot worship, they cannot call upon the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and neither can anyone else. I couldn't. I did not call upon the Lord Jesus Christ until the gospel was presented to me. There's another question in verse 14. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How can they have faith if you don't tell them the story? How can they trust? How can they commit their lives? Listen, they can't, and neither could we. And how shall they hear, the third question, without a preacher? One who proclaims divine truth. Did you hear that? One who proclaims divine truth. The answer is they can't and neither could we. We must be devoted to the proclamation of the gospel and we must be sure that we are being true to God's word. We are being true to God's word. So, what's the next thing we must do? And I believe you're going to really appreciate this. You must remember next week and, and all throughout your life as Christians is that you have been divinely sent. You have been divinely sent. What a great truth to understand and to receive and to stand on and to walk in is that Christ has sent me to be a proclaimer of His truth. Oh no, maybe not a Billy Graham. But He has called me to be a faithful witness. He has called me to, to, to go. He has sent me with the gospel. And I ought to carry it as part of my normal lifestyle. But he has sent me with the gospel. Look what it says in verse 15 of chapter 10. And how shall they preach except they be sent? My brothers and sisters in Christ, you have been. You've been sent by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that, you know, I don't believe that Paul was present when Jesus taught that to the twelve, but that was a truth that Jesus taught early on in 
the Gospels. Turn with me to John 15, verse 16. There is the need for children of God to nail this down, to write it on uh, something to remind yourself of often, that when you go, where you go, it is not just because Mark and others got together at the school to come up with a mission outreach, but God in His sovereignty, God in sending His children to meet the needs of a lost and dying world, listen, has chosen you to go wherever you're going. Don't go there thinking that it's by accident. divine intervention that God has looked down through history and has chosen you to go. That's right. Where you go? John 15, 16, Jesus says this. You have not chosen me. Now I know that's a surprise to some folks. Some folks think that they were walking along and they chose me. Before you pray, I chose you. You see that? You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. That ought to knock your socks off, man. I mean, knowing everything about you, knowing all of my sin, knowing all of my future failure, yet He chose me before the foundations of the world. He chose me to be His own. chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, oh my, appointed you, that you should go forth, here's the will of Christ, I have appointed you, according to Ephesians 2.10, God has already prepared some good works for me to walk in, Jesus says, I have appointed you to go forth and bring forth fruit. To go and bring fruit. Listen, we've been divinely sent. Don't give the devil too much credit or too much power. We've been sent by the living, resurrected Lord. So, where is it that I cannot go? I can go into an age with the confidence that Jesus sent me and nothing can happen in there outside. One of the great fears in my life and all the prisons that I've visited is going into a maximum security penitentiary and having a guy six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds wink at you. I just 
sent here by the Lord. myself were a curse from Christ 
for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. According to the flesh. I think the last characteristic is this, is that we must retain the divine value of soul. The divine value of soul. Paul with get this, think of this. Here is Paul really thinking and, and, and showing uh, uh, the real love of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Paul saying that I wish that I could be made a curse so that Israel might be saved. Jesus, being hung on the tree for us, was made a curse, separated from God, so that you might be so that I might be How valuable is the soul of a sinner? To understand and appreciate the value of the soul of the sinner, my friend, you must daily go back to Calvary. For it is there that I see and understand the cost of God saved. We need a divine understanding. We need to retain a divine value of souls. And to do so, I must daily be looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, it's not an easy thing to look at the cross of Christ. Everything in the world wants to be from But David Maine says this, that one of the things that helps him look at the cross of Christ is, is that when he's on his knees, he has to get a picture in his mind. And he gets a picture in his mind of Calvary and that rugged cross and Jesus no longer there. But the blood still dripping from the nail. You see, my friend, it's a Calvary that we see. How God, how God that. Nothing of value Nothing of value comes easy. Nothing of value comes easy. It costs Christ his life. It's going to cost you some tears at night. It's going to cost you some humbling of yourself. It's going to cost you some listening and not leading. It's going to cost you. But if you're looking at eternity, if you've got your eyes on the cross of Christ, the value of the soul will outweigh what happens to you as an individual. Paul said, I wish I could be like Jesus. If I could be a person hanging on the cross to see folks say, God has given heaven's best for the earth's worst. God gives the richest gift for the sinner's soul. The problem is, the problem isn't that God's hand is shortened, that God cannot save, but there are Christians who are so comfortable in their comfort zone that they have lost an understanding of what it takes for the world to be Christ. My brother, Christ suffering, humiliation, rejection, crucifixion, and above all, separation from the Father for the salvation. For sinners, for sinners, my 
you know the life of Paul meant this. It meant becoming like Jesus. Esteeming the Father's will more important than the thinking of his hope. Father, these I do, and this is 